Like 1 John 4, um, verse 8, verse 16, say very, very clearly that God is love. Not that he might love you and I sometimes, maybe, maybe not. No, he actually is love. All right, so when we talk today about the, the message here of God is love, really there's only two points I'm going to talk about. And the first is that God is love, get the definition of what that looks like, all right, and some demonstration of that love, really just one demonstration, that's the best picture of it. And then two, what that love and then enables you and I to do, close out with some application for us to look at today and really apply, as I've been praying, apply it for you guys right here at Riverside. Right, so that's what we're going to talk about as we go uh, into the passage today. Before we do, let's just pray real quick. Lord, what an incredible attribute, characteristic of you, is that you are love. It's hard for us to comprehend that, Lord, just because we have the capacity to love each other, to love you. But Lord, you actually are love. And so I pray that this may be a reminder for some, and if that's the case, I pray you remind us um, to the, to the call of application of how we are to love each other and how we are to love you. Um, but Father, if there's anyone here who has not been born again, um, as we um, are reminded of the ultimate picture of love in, in your salvation and the plan of your salvation for us, then Father, I pray anyone here who has not been born again that you do what you have to in their heart to bring them to the point of salvation. So speak to your word now and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so God is love. Let, let's, let's break this down a little bit. We live in a world that's really messed up. I know it's very encouraging to start out with, right? But that's just the fact of the matter, right? We, and the reason is, you go all the way back to Genesis, and what's been introduced into the world, Genesis, sin. All, right, all the way back from Adam. That's, if you look at the book of Romans, that's been passed down all the way to someone like me, and now I've passed it down to my children. It's that sin nature. The Bible calls it our flesh, right? Our sin nature, that we have to live in a body of sin. And when sin was introduced into the world, it messed it up, all right? And so as sin spread, it affected everything. It even skewed our understanding of love, right? Because you think about today, um, there's so many examples we go through. I'll just pick one. Uh, a big misconception of love today is that it's just this emotional feeling that you have, all right? It's kind of that first, you know, couple of feelings I had whenever I saw my wife. I was like, she is great, all right? Her name's Kristen, if you don't know her. She's an amazing woman, all right? So those first, you know, those, those feelings I get whenever I saw her, started dating her when we were engaged, when we got married, and now after having four children, I still have that feeling. But guess what? She'll even tell you this. <laughs> one of her favorite, I don't say favorite, one of her um, most favorite lines that she will share with me sometimes is, Mickey, I really, really love you, but I don't really like you very much right now. Okay, and, and she means that on some level because I've done something idiotic towards her that hurt her feelings or something of that nature to where she just doesn't really like me in that moment. She loves me, but she doesn't really like me in that moment. But that's kind of a, a funny but a real picture of really what the world has conformed love to be, is it not? Just these emotions that are all wound up in us. And so if, if you have these feelings, it must be love. But when those feelings go away, it must not be love anymore right? And so really, as a whole of a world, and there's so many other examples, right, of how we misconstrued this idea of love, but there's so many examples of this when it comes to the emotional aspect of it that we've really been conformed to believe that is what love is, right? And again, that's just one example of many that we can give um, and how sin has disrupted and, and give us a misunderstanding of love. But you think about that, if that is the case and we're living in a world, right, filled with sin and have a misunderstanding of love and 
I'm just living along those lines of a misunderstanding of what love is, then I don't know how to properly love you, and you don't know how to properly love me. And even bigger than that, what did I just read? 1 John says that God is love. So if he is love, it also, we have a misunderstanding then of who God is. Right? Because if, if let's just base it on this example. If, if God, you know, if, if it's just based on emotions, then maybe sometimes God loves me. If he's feeling good, maybe sometimes he doesn't. If he's feeling bad, if that's the case, maybe I have to go out and earn his love and do all this. No. But do you see how there, that's, that's a real belief in the world that we live in when it comes to this relationship with God or relationship with each other. Sin has completely messed up our view of what love is. And so to get a clear understanding, what we have to do is look at the ultimate truth. And that is right here. That's not me by any stretch of the imagination, but it's God. God's perfect. Um, again, we're going through the series today. One of our pastors is talking about how um, sovereign God is. He's ultimate and sovereign. He's perfect in every aspect. And so his word is perfect. So to tr- get a true understanding of what love is and what it enables us to do, then we have to go to God's word himself because it is what the perfect ultimate truth is. So we're going to today allow the word of God to really speak truth into what love is and what it enables you and I to do. Because the cool thing is it doesn't matter what I think, and no offense, but it doesn't matter a whole lot what you think um, about it. Because, again, we've just proven as a world that we've messed up the picture of what love is. So let's look at it here um, as we get into it. And we're going to start by looking at the first point. Again, point one, simply God is love, and we're going to look at two biblical definitions of what love is, um, and then kind of look at an example of how that love is demonstrated, and then second point, what does that love enable you and I to do? So the first definition that we're going to look at when it comes to the word love is the word kessed, all right? I have one of our pastors um, at Woodland Park, his name's Justin, he's our youth pastor, and um, he named his daughter Kessid uh, for the reasons that we're going to talk about. The word Kessid simply means, and it's used more in the Old Testament. Follow me, Old Testament, Kessid, God's steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love. All right? God's steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love. What better picture of Kessid or love than God's relationship with the nation of Israel? Right? If, you, if you crack open the Old Testament at all and look at the history of it, it all centers around the nation of Israel. Why? Because God chose the nation of Israel because he loved them to do work with, in, and through them. And here's the thing. Here's why you know it all is dependent on God and the fact that he's a steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping God is because guess what Israel did to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. All they did was reject God again and again, Right? Disobey him again and again. And because he is a loyal, steadfast, covenant-keeping or promise-keeping God, right? it showed his and displayed his love again and again and again. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. Today, more of a topical sermon. I know you guys aren't used to that, and I'm not necessarily used to preaching that way. But we're going to jump around right, to different passages. But Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8 says this. The Lord did not set his love on you, that's Israel, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples or any of the other nations, um, but you were the fewest in peoples. And because the Lord loved you and kept the oath 
which he swore to his forefathers, to your forefathers, sorry, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, that's Egypt, um, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, because God made covenants or promises with people like Abraham and Moses, God kept those promises all the way when, um, again, Israel rejected God, they disobeyed, they go into slavery. God still, because of his promises that he had for them, brought them out of that. Now, what's that got to do with us? Well, if we can look back thousands of years and see a God who has a relationship with the nation of Israel, that even though they messed up time and time again, he would keep his promises with them because he is kessed, because he is a steadfast, and really nation, uh, Israel put that to the test, but God is steadfast, he's loyal, covenant-keeping God Man, does not apply to that to us today. The promises that he's made to you and I today will still stand just as they stood because of his very nature. Again, not because God might love us, but because he is love. Again, try to comprehend that as much as you can today. He is love. And the cool thing about Israel, again, there's nothing you or I can do to earn that love. There, again, there's, there's many misteachings out there that if I just keep all these things, I'm really good, then God will love me and I can be in a relationship with him. No, no. I've done nothing. Israel did nothing to deserve it. All right? It's not that they were the most grand nation. It says they were the fewest. All right? But because of his very nature, and he makes a promise um, with whoever it may be, he's going to keep it All right? because he is Kesed, he is a loyal, steadfast, covenant-keeping God. All right, there's another definition, probably more familiar to you. It's called agape, right? You've probably heard this one. Uh, make sure I get it right. Agape, different elements of this. So here we go. Agape love, second definition. First, kesed, loyal, steadfast, covenant-keeping God. Agape, unconditional love. Hard to comprehend that one. Unconditional, All right? Oftentimes, our love towards one another is what? Conditional. Very sad. But God, agape, unconditional love, it involves affectionate regard and goodwill of one party to another party. And check out the next part. A sacrificial love that gave all for the good of the love. So this is the party up here doing the loving. They will sacrificially give all for the people that they are loving. Does that make sense? That's kind of the definition. And here's a really cool part of it um, that really clicked at home to me. It is God doing what he knows best for man and not necessarily what man desires. Let me say it again. It is God doing what is God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. Do you think about that? No clearer picture, and you can say it with me, I'm sure, than John 3:16. For God so what? Love the world that he gave as a sacrifice, his only son for us, so that we might be in a relationship with him. Now, you think about this. As we look at the, the last part of this definition, God doing what he knows best, even when man doesn't necessarily desire it, unconditionally, sacrificially, there is no better picture in Scripture than that, than the plan of salvation. You and I, again, take no offense. If you don't know me, I'm putting myself in the category. We're a bunch of sinners, right? We've messed up, all right? We deserve to be separated from God forever, right? But... What does God do? John 3, 16. For God so 
loved the world, given agape love, an unconditional love, sacrificial love to where he will give up everything because he knows what's best for us. All right, so what about our state? He'll do that even when we don't necessarily desire it. Let's put it to the test. All right, 1 John 4, 9, this is what God doing what's best for us. 1 John 4, 9 says this, By this, the love of God was shown to us or manifested to us that God sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation, that was read earlier, or the payment of our sins. God knew what was best for us. He sent his son because he knew we had to have a payment for sin that had to be perfect for us to be back into a relationship with him. Correct? All right? That's God agape love doing sacrificially what he knows best for you and I because it's his very nature of who he is. Well, what was our state? Because the last part of the definition says God doing what's best for us and man not necessarily even desiring it. Well, let's look at the state we were in. Romans 5.8, Romans 5.10 both say this. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us, 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, um, through the death of the Son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved. What an incredible picture of who God is, that he was sacrificially, unconditionally do what's best for you and I, knowing that we had to have a payment for sin while we were still sinners, while we were what? His enemies. Church, that is the picture of this first point, that God is love. He is kessed. He is agape. That's his very nature of who he is. Let's play it out even further for a second. Talking about this plan of salvation. Do you know when this plan of salvation was actually put together and planned? Well, the cool thing is Scripture tells us that. Let's, let's, let's read Ephesians 1, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Just as he chose us, that's believers, in Jesus before the foundation of the world. I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. But sometime before even the world was even founded, God started and put together this plan of salvation for you and I. Boom. That's mind-blowing to me. I can't even fathom that much love that God, because of his very nature of who he is, we put together this plan of salvation even before the foundation of the world. Why? Because he loves you and I so much that he would do that. Because love is part of his very nature of who he is. Church, isn't that amazing to think about? Before the foundation of the world, which proves there's nothing you and I could ever do to earn that. We weren't even created. And whenever it came into fruition in Romans, we were his enemies. So it all goes back to the fact that he is kessed, he is agape, that he is love, that he's willing to sacrificially, unconditionally do what's best for us, even when we don't desire it. Not only that, not only did he put the plan together then, when did he start telling us about it? Well, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 3, um, let's see, verse 15, God says this, talking to Satan, right, because sin has just entered to the world, the fall, God says this, I'll put enmity, enmity between you, that's um, between you, Satan, sorry, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Who is her seed going to be? Jesus is going to be part of that. He, Jesus, will bruise you on the head, right, by his resurrection, 
and you'll bruise him um, on the hill. Continues on. Genesis chapter 12, Abrahamic covenant. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, who's going to be part of that? Jesus. That's how all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, the new covenant, Galatians chapter 3, it's a tutor to lead us to Christ, right? And then the new covenant in Ezekiel chapter 36, I'll give you a new heart, put my spirit within you. From the moment this plan was, whenever it was, um, put together, it's before um, creation, right? Then after that in Genesis chapter 3, God starts telling us about this plan. All because he is a loyal steadfast, covenant-keeping God who will unconditionally do what's best for you and I always, even when we don't deserve it. Such a hard thing to fathom. Not only that, but he also gave us foreshadowing of this, right? Again, not to read too much into this, but it's pretty clear in Scripture. Abraham and Isaac tells Isaac, I want you to go up and, you know, you're going to have to kill your son. Instead, gets there and what does he provide? A sacrifice. So to save his son. All right? We see King David, who loved God with his whole heart. That's the whole mindset of, of salvation. You see Moses, who is a deliverer, brings out the nation of Israel. How? By signs and wonders. When Jesus came, what did he perform? Signs and wonders to show exactly who it is that he was. And then finally, Ruth and Boaz. There's many others, but Ruth and Boaz. Right? Boaz is going to be the redeemer for Ruth to bring a family member back into a proper relationship with him. What does Jesus do? These are all human examples, right? Foreshadowing. But Jesus summarizes all this. That he, that God would send his son to die for you and I to bring us back into a proper relationship with him. You're like, Mickey, so, so what's the point? The point is this. When is the last time you sat and thought and meditated on the fact that by his very nature, God is love? Again, I got challenged with that as we were doing the study, and it, just, it blew my mind. It had been a while for me. When was the last time you meditated on the truth of the fact that God is kessed, that he is agape, that he is love? And then when's the last time you thanked him? That he would show his love and demonstrate his love most clearly in the fact that he sent his son to die for you and I to do what's best for us even while we were his enemies. And conceived this plan before you and I even existed. Started telling us about it in Genesis. Started showing us it back in Genesis. And came to fruition by Jesus' death and resurrection while we were called his enemies. When's the last time you spent time thanking him for that? Man, again, as I was challenged with this, it just blew me away. How often do we take that for granted about God? That is life-changing truth about who God is. And again, it's not that he might love us. I share all this because it is a clear demonstration that love is part of his very character of who he is. That he is church, he is love. Now, here's the cool part about that to me. He doesn't just leave it there. Now, what the next question is then, if that's the first point that God's love, what does his love now enable you and I to do? Because we just talked earlier, we're living in a world that has a real misconception of what love is. They don't view it like this. 
as sacrificial, unconditionally doing what's best for someone else, even if they don't necessarily desire it, loyal, steadfast, promise-keeping. Well, let's look at the second point of this. God's love now, if if that's God, that's who he is, this is very nature that he is love, what does God's love enable us to do? Well, 1 John, we're going to look at two passages as we close out. 1 John 4, basically 7 through 11, to see um, what does love enables us to do. And then we're going to close out with a 1 Corinthians passage to really hammer home some application for us as we walk out the door um, today. All right, so what God's love, if he's love, what does his love enable us to do? 1 John 4, 7 through 11, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For God is, sorry, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not uh, love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is manifest or shown in us that God has sent his only begotten son to the world so that we might love through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to what? Love one another. Well, there's your answer. What does God's love enable us to do? To love one another. Now, it seems so basic and simple. Mickey, why would you even talk about that? Because we live in a world that's messed up and scarred by sin. I don't like to pry, but since God's been prying in my life, I'm going to just leave you with the application. I'm with you because I know nothing about what the questions I'm about to ask. What about you guys today? Do you really believe that God's love, because of his love, enables you to love each other in the way that he describes? Here's why. I told you earlier, I'm, I live in a body of sin, right? Sin entered the world. It passed down to Mickey. I passed it down to my children. They'll pass it down to their children. It's called our sin nature, our flesh. But at the point of salvation for me and for you, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that when we hear and when we believe, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of me. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit of God literally comes to live inside of me. And if God is love, guess what's inside of me? Love is now inside of me. You don't believe it? Part of the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing it mentions is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. Now I am enabled to be able to love you and for you to be able to love me in which the way that God um, so so describes for us to be able to love each other. You believe that today, church? That you all can love each other the way that God tells you to. It's absolutely possible. When you look into the world, that's hard to believe, right? There's so much hatred. There's so much violence, destruction. You can't really go online anymore without people, you know, bashing each other, saying horrible things about each other. Doesn't have to be true. You know, just got to get enough followers or people to like it. Just destruction after destruction after destruction. And guess where it's crept into? Churches. To where people are willing to talk horrible about each other in churches now. Talk behind their backs, do things they shouldn't do. That's not the picture of what's described here. Church, we serve a God who is love. And that love and that God lives inside of us if we surrender our life to him. To where now we are able, we are able to love each other the way that he tells us to. Not according to the world standards, some emotional high, sacrificially, unconditionally, in the way that which he tells us to love. 
Well, Mickey, are you sure about that? I am sure about that because of what 1 Corinthians says. Oh, by the way, it says here, if you skip down to verses 20 and 21 in 1 John, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I didn't say it. Say it again, though. If someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that we are all, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. So it can't be, ah, I love God so much, but I really hate Riverside Community Church. Those people there just drive me insane. Right? I just hate them. Or I hate the people at Woodland Park Baptist Church. I just can't believe it. I hate those people. Or I just hate a couple of people there. Or maybe there's just one person that irritates me. I just hate them. No. That can't be you and I. Why? Because that goes against the very nature of God. We've seen it. He is love, right? And he tells us to love one another. So I can't say I love him and hate you guys. You can't say, oh, I love God and I hate Mickey. Right? That goes against the very nature. So what do we do? How do we live this out? I'm glad you asked. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and let's look at this um, passage of application as we close out today. All right, again, God is love. He's casted. He's agape. All right? And since that's who he is, he now enables us, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, to be able to love each other. So let's get some really practical application, because God gives us an incredible passage here, multiple passages about love. This is just one I picked, as to what that really looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all right, it's very cool, because he's just been talking about in the previous chapter the gifts that God's given you and I as believers to serve one another. But then he says, you have these gifts, but guess what? If you don't have love... They're, they're pointless. It profits you nothing. That's a huge statement because God just said, I give you these gifts, but if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. Then he goes on to say, but love is, and we're going to pick up in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Here's what it says. Love is patient. Again, getting the practical application here as we close out today. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not arrogant does not act unbecoming, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It'll go on after that, but let's look at that first part um, for our purposes today. That's some pretty heavy stuff, but that's not me saying it, that's God telling us what love looks like lived out day to day, you and I. Because remember, part of the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That first thing was what? Love. Well, here's a beautiful picture of what that looks like for how you and I should be loving each other. Now, let's talk about it as we close out with application to Riverside Community Church. Okay? So, first thing, love is patient. So, here's the question. How patient are you with each other? Well, Mickey, that person just won't do what I ask. I didn't ask that. How patient are you with each other. Let's make it more individual. How patient are you individually with everyone else at Riverside Community Church? You don't have to answer. Just think. Again, this is all an overflow of what God's been asking me. So, I, you, you know, again, I, I've been walking through this myself. But how patient are you at Riverside with one another? Because love is patient. Second, love is kind. Woo. We live in a world that's very unkind. 
just gave examples of that a second ago. How kind are you to one another? And I don't just mean to each other's faces. I mean to your face and behind your back, online, through text message, whatever it may be. How kind is Riverside Community Church to one another? Because either you're kind or maybe you're rude. Maybe you're flat out mean to each other. Maybe there's people that just drive you crazy and you're just mean towards them. Love is patient. Love is what? It's kind. It's God's very nature. All right, love is not jealous. Again, let's ask the question. Are you jealous towards one another? Or are you genuinely happy when God does something amazing in each other's lives? Because that's love. As believers, I hope you are ecstatic whenever God blesses each other with, with something amazing. Love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, okay? Does not brag, it's not arrogant. And pride causes so much discord outside of the church, but also inside of the church. So church, let me ask you, are you arrogant? Are you prideful? And again, I'm asking this individually here. Or are you humble? Look, look up the word for humility at some point. It's basically making yourself lowly, and not in some prideful sense. Ironically, you can do that. All right? Love's patient. It's kind. All right? It's not jealous. doesn't brag. Does not act in an indecent manner towards one another. All right? doesn't act unbecomingly. That's a wide-ranging one. Uh, I'll just leave that for you to, to process and think through. But love does not act towards one another in an indecent manner. Would that describe any of you today that you need to get right? Okay. It does not seek its own. Woo. That's an easy one, right? Because we are all prone to selfishness by our very sin nature. But let me ask, do you even individually or as a whole seek each other's betterment even before yourself? That is tough. Again, we live in a sinful body in a sinful world, and we want what we want, right? Man, that, that's, again, love does not seek its own. And by the way, that's even for the people who might irritate you, right? All this stuff. And let's be serious. We can have some people here to you, okay? It's not easily provoked. Are you quick to anger or not? Because love is not easily provoked. Man, not, not in a church, right? Yeah, this can creep into a church. Riverside, are you easily provoked by one another or are you patient with one another? Love is patient. It's not easily provoked. Here's a tough one, not that the rest of these are easy. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. So let me ask, do you have some written list or maybe some mental list if it's not written? You know, Sally, she did me wrong a year ago, and uh, I will not talk to her anymore. Or I won't associate with her. I'll just be mean to her, just cold towards her. You know, Billy a year ago did this to me, and I've got that in my mind. All right, I'll get him back someday, or I just... He's out of my life. Yeah, maybe we'll go to church together, but he's out of my life. Do you have an account of wrong suffered? Now, if someone's done wrong to you, God gives us a clear way of how to reconcile that, right? So I'm not saying you don't do that, but 
We need to have a real short memory when we're wronged. Especially in the church. Because you think about it, church, if we are living the way that's described here, what an example that is. First of all, you're going to have an incredibly thriving, loving church. If you're looking out for the needs of each other, putting each other above yourself, if you're patient with each other, kind towards one another, if you don't take into account the wrong suffered, understanding that we will hurt each other, sadly, at times. But if you're living this way, imagine what this does to the people outside of Riverside Community Church. They're living with a skewed understanding of what love is. But maybe they watch Riverside Community Church love each other in a way in which God has designed and told us right here to where it may make them question, what, man, what do these people have? How do they love each other like that? I want that. Where maybe it opens the door for you to be able to share the gospel again and again and again with this community right here that desperately needs to see the love of Christ displayed in believers who take the name of Christ. I think that's happening, but I'm not with you every day. Right? Uh, again, I go to Woodland Park Baptist Church, and, and I know we can be tempted with all these things. So I think I'd be foolish not to say you can at least be tempted with this. And you're a pretty decent-sized church, so maybe there is some of this that's crept in. And maybe individually you need to take the time today to make right to where maybe you're falling short of loving each other in this manner. Maybe there's some stuff you need to make right with each other today, or whenever this huge group that's coming back um, comes back, maybe there's people there you need to make some right with. I don't know. Whether it's youth, whether it's adults, whoever it may be. I'm just, I just know what God told me to ask because I know what God's been asking me has been going through this. Church, you have to remember who we serve. Part of his very nature and characteristic is that God is kested. He is agape. He is love. He will sacrificially, unconditionally do what's best for you and I, even when we don't desire it. He'll send his son, plan it out before the beginning of time, send his son to die for us, tell us about it for years and years and years, show us for years, and bring it to fruition when we are called what? His enemies. Because he knows what's best for us, and he will do what's best for us even if we don't desire it. And because of that, now I can accept the work that Jesus has done for me, surrender my life to him, right? believe in him, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and now his Holy Spirit will come live inside of me that enables me to love you in the way that he's described right here. You can love each other this way, church. You can. The question I'll leave you with is, will you? Or are you? Or are you not? Those are the only, the only questions I was processing through that that I can leave with is, either you're doing this or you're not. Or maybe there's some areas in which you need to look at, you know what, I'm not very patient with people. I need to be more patient with my brothers and sisters right here at Riverside. Or maybe I've taken into account a wrong that somebody did to me, and I just need to, I need to lay that aside and love that person as God has loved me. Because you think about it, how many times have I wronged God? Again and again and again, I've sinned against him. And again and again and again, he loves me the same. Church, I hope this speaks to you this morning. Um, and I will say this, I love you. I pray for you often. 
as God puts you in my heart. This is not an easy message, I know this, but I don't apologize for it in any way, shape, or form because this is what God's been teaching me. And I, I ain't got nothing to do with what I got to say. It has everything to do with what God says in His Word. But I pray that you all are loving each other in a way that God has designed for you to love each other for your own incredible benefit in relationship with God, but also so this community will see an example of a church and individuals loving each other the way that God designed, and they will in turn desire that and crave that, and you can share the gospel with them. Let me pray for you. Lord, that's exactly, you know, that's what I've been praying. That's what I pray right now, is that you use Riverside right here, that this church will love each other in a way that you have so designed, and remind them they are able to do this. Flat out, we all are. Because if your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, well, well, first let me say this, Lord, if there's anyone in here who has not been born again, as I was just sharing the gospel a second ago, the plan of salvation that you have um, started working on well before even the foundation of the world, if there's anyone here who has not um, been born again, it's not surrendering their life to you, I pray you do whatever you have to today to bring them to the point of salvation. Uh, Lord, I encourage anyone in here who's not done that, um, that they surrender their life to you. And then, Lord, for those who have right here at this church, I pray that you, again, remind them they are able to love each other in a way as you describe right here in 1 Corinthians and many other passages of how you describe it. pray they'll be patient with each other and kind. I pray they will not take into account a wrong suffered, to have a short memory of that, to work out things that need to be worked out. And again, that you use Riverside and the way in which they love each other to be an example right here to this to, to the city of Scottsboro. And so that others, Father, will see it and desire um, uh, the relationship that they have uh, and that in turn they will be able to believe